0: Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. We are continuing our series through the book of Proverbs in summer and the main question that we are asking is, is this wise? We're looking at a variety of different subjects, um, but the overarching question that we're asking is, is this wise? We're not asking the question, did you know that? Um, because I don't think we're at a state in our society where we are uh, suffering for a lack of information. The question that we're asking is, is this wise? And when we answer that question, it helps us to define, it helps us to attain and sustain a joyful and purposeful life that is lived for the glory of God. So whenever we are faced with new information or a situation or a difficulty, one of the questions we should be asking is, is this wise? And Proverbs helps us to make that determination Uh, because as Patrick so well, well, did so well last week, um, and he introduced us to three women within the context of Proverbs, Lady Wisdom, Harlot Folly, and Harlot is a fancy word for saying prostitute, folly, and uh, the lady in Proverbs 31 that is not just a woman, but is the epitome, the personification of what it means to live a wise life. And so this morning, we're going to look at the calls that are calling out to us from Lady Wisdom and from Harlot Folly. Proverbs 8, verses 1 to 3, does not wisdom call, does not understanding raise her voice, On the heights, besides the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. Verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. She continues to say, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. The call of harlot folly says this, The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She, she takes a seat at the highest places of the town. She calls to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Listen to her call. We should, this should be a clue to us. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and the bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depth of shell. Harlot Folly is generally louder, and she is more seductive than Lady Wisdom, and the call of Harlot Folly is the echo of Adam and Eve. And so this morning we look at what um, Harlot Folly is shouting to us in the context of our world, and Harlot Folly shouts out, follow your heart. That's the cry that we hear from the world, and Lady Wisdom, through Jesus, says, follow me. Harlot folly says, love yourself. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. And we covered that a couple of weeks ago where Jesus is not telling us that we need to love ourselves more, but because we, are, we have a proclivity to overlove ourselves, that is the way that we are to love others. Harlot folly says, find your joy. How many of you have heard that? Be true to yourself. And Jesus tells us to deny ourselves And we will discover deeper joy. Harlot Folly says, believe in me. Believe in yourself, sorry. And Jesus says, believe in me. Matt Smethurst says, this way to live when we respond to Harlot Folly, it's an exhausting way to live. I don't have the wisdom to define my destiny, nor the fortitude to fulfill it without making a royal wreck of my life and inflicting untold pain on those that I love the most, I'm underqualified to explore my heart and to steer my life, I can barely reply to emails. How many of us understand that? Um, Just the other week I was talking to my wife and I was so frustrated uh, because people don't read emails. And I was talking to Jeannie about this, people don't read emails. And at first I thought it was just church emails, at first I thought it was like people just ignore church emails. And some of you know we we have an Airbnb, and I'm realizing people don't read anything anymore. Um, Like, their first thing will be like, Where are the towels? Where are the towels? Did you look for the towels? I know, maybe they're under the bed. Where do you think the towels are? The towels are on the hook, where the towels are. Where are the paper towels? Maybe the paper towels are under the sink. Maybe you should look or read. The sign that says, this is where the paper towels are. We, we have so much information coming at us. Too many voices that are shouting for our attention. It's not for lack of knowledge. How many of you remember this picture? Or how many of you know what this is? Oh, yes. Right? Okay, all of those that were born in the 70s know what that is. It's the Encyclopedia Britannica. Okay, and if you had a project to do, all of you millennials will not understand this, you made friends with someone who had, I know, maybe elder millennials would understand this. So you would go, and let's say your project was on windmills. You would have to find the W, and you would look for the W, and uh, if you were like our house that had a random collection. We would have the J's and the S's and the T's. You were praying that somehow you could find something in the encyclopedia that would match that. we had a dearth of knowledge when I went to school. I remember even at college, when you had to do an assignment, you would have to run to the library because if someone got there first, they checked out that book for the full two weeks and they did it on purpose. They didn't need it for the full two weeks, they just kept it for the full two weeks because everyone knew that that is the book that you needed to complete your assignment. We're not there, we're not there. We can find right now, we can find information on anything. The problem is we used to be able to trust publications. Publishers used to be a gate for garbage to stay outside and now you can just self-publish anything you want. You can put anything you want on the internet, we we don't need the ability to gain more information, we need the ability to filter information. Brett McCracken in his outstanding book, The Wisdom Pyramid says that everyone has a megaphone, hardly anybody has a filter. And so one of the ways that we deal with this idea of too much information, is I wanna recommend this book to you, I read it during COVID, it was outstanding. Um, But it's how do we filter what is coming at, at us? And the reason it's a a pyramid, it's like the food pyramid, right? The top is not the most important, but the top of the pyramid is what you should be consuming the least of. The bottom of the pyramid is what you should be consuming the most of. And so at the bottom of the pyramid, we have the Word of God, the Bible, our daily bread. That is the foundation through which we can filter everything that we are hearing. The next is our local church and broader traditions, our embodied rhythms of worship, Uh, This is where we meet with wise people that are in a physical place, that are close to us. This is where we submit to time-tested theologies. Wise people throughout Christian history where there is a continuity of faith. And then nature and beauty to get outside, the the general revelation of God in nature. Uh, We were talking about it the other day. What is it about water, whether it's a lake or whether it's a river or whether it's a sea, you just breathe deeper when you're out there. You suddenly realize the beauty and splendor of God. And all of a sudden, the little pings on your phone don't matter that much. Next is books. And I would recommend, as he does, more older books than newer books. Great books, classics. Uh, at nearer the top is Google, Wikipedia. Nowadays, Chat GPT. Right? You can ask any question. Be very careful as you ask questions. Um, And at the very, very top, which is what the least amount of our time should be spent on, is social media. Now, that includes Twitter, it includes Instagram, it includes threads, it includes any of these things that are actually essentially not great for helping us filter wisdom. And when you use the wisdom pyramid, you're in a better place to actually understand what it is that you should be paying attention to, what is ultimately important, and how would we know the difference? Now, the second thing that I wanna present, and Sean's gonna be talking about decision making, so I don't wanna steal his thunder, but the second thing is called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Now, I practice saying that word a lot. (laughs) I want you to say quadrilateral five times quickly, right? It's easier to say in Israel's, I mean, uh, Hezekiah's name than it is to say that. And this is a very similar concept. And the idea is this. It's not a square, people. It's a quadrilateral. And it's not done just to mess with people that are trying to say that. It's because the base of it is longer in terms of Scripture. And Scripture informs each of these things as we come to our decision-making. So when we look at decision-making, we've got to look at Scripture as the foundation. Then we look at tradition, then we look at reason, and then we look at experience. And we use those four things when it comes to our decision-making. So I want to recommend... The idea of too much information, because this is part of the problem, as harlot folly is yelling at you, there are some important things that you need to take into account, but there are ways in which we need to filter those. And these are two ways that we do that. Our experience, our reason, tradition, and scripture is how we make decisions. But the pyramid, in terms of most of us, let's be honest, the pyramid is flipped on the bottom. I wanna say to you, I don't mind how often you are on social media, how many hours that is, As long as you match that with time and prayer in the word. How about you take the time that you spend on social media, halve that, and spend that time for prayer in the word? How about this? 25%. I guarantee you your outlook, your life, and your ability to filter all the noise will change dramatically if you spend an hour on social media and instead and 15 minutes in the Word. Now, obviously, what we're wanting to do is flip that, but I know where some of us are. So let's start with low-hanging fruit. And let's say this week, look at your phone. Your phone will tell you you've spent X amount of hours on whatever. Look at your phone and say, Okay, Spirit of God, help me. 25% of that time I'm going to spend in prayer, meditation, and in the Word. Your filter will suddenly change. You'll begin to hear the call of Lady Wisdom much, much clearer than consistently and robotically responding to the yells of harlot folly. So how is wisdom different to knowledge? Well, wisdom is not just facts. It includes facts, it includes principles, it includes morals, but it is so much more than that. You've heard the Tides saying that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad, right? So there is a difference between knowing something and actually using that knowledge. So I'll be sitting down with my wife and I will say something and she will kick me. Now I know that I have said something. I usually don't know what it is that I have said. So wisdom would be to stop talking, right? That that would be, That would be, yes, wisdom would not be, why are you kicking me? That would not be a wise use of the fact, the knowledge that she is kicking me. I know that you're kicking me. Um, So we understand that there are people that can have a lot of knowledge that don't necessarily exercise that knowledge in a wise way. Wisdom is an attribute of God, it is part of his nature. But wisdom is also something that is woven into the fabric of the universe because it's, the universe is something that God created. And when we make good and ju- just and wise decisions, it means that we work with the grain of the universe. And so, now Brandon will tell me if this is wrong because he's a woodworker. The, the only way you should work with wood is in the direction of the grain that that wood is in. Otherwise, what happens is you damage the wood and you splinter yourself. You damage yourself. So God created the universe to function in a specific way. And what wisdom does is tell us, this is the way in which you act according to the grain of the universe. Whenever we make poor or selfish or unwise decisions, it's working against the grain of the universe. And that's when we get splinters. Now, the universe doesn't care. It's not like we ruin the universe by actually working against the grain of the universe. We harm ourselves. In the beginning, uh, the scriptures that I read, it's very, very clear. And she says um, that if you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one that will suffer. It isn't just the accumulation of knowledge that's important. It is the exercising of wisdom. It isn't just knowing, it is obeying. It isn't just knowing, it is applying. Um, a couple of years ago, Karen was doing her master's and um, she finished her semesters. She got all A's. And so we were going to celebrate at an Italian restaurant called Chow Baby. And uh, Karen knows this about herself, she has this knowledge that she doesn't do well with rich foods. So, um, oftentimes, what Karen will do if she wants to celebrate, she'll have a starter and dessert. But she generally doesn't have the constitution to have starter, main meal, and dessert. Except, she decided she was going to do that. And she literally went against the grain of the universe in, in this. And so, before we even went to the restaurant, she said, I'm just telling you right now, that I'm going to have a main meal and dessert. I'm like, okay. So she orders fettuccine Alfredo. Super light, right? It's like that fettuccine Alfredo where they have like the real cheese, they, they pour it on there. It is butter, cheese, and starch, okay? Now look at her, she's excited just by thinking about this, you know? And then we come to dessert and she says, I'm going to order dessert. I'm like, baby, are you sure? She's like, I told you I was going to order dessert. I said, okay. So, you know, she orders like berries, like strawberries and berries. No, 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 no. She says that, that doesn't count as dessert. She orders the thing called death by chocolate. <laughs> right? Right? Okay. Let me tell you. It is chocolate cake. Sorry. Chocolate cheesecake. Chocolate cake. Drizzled with chocolate. Okay? Right? I feel sick just even saying that. So she eats it. All of it. She goes home and refunds the meal. Literally vomits it up. Proverbs 25 (laughs) verse 16. If you find honey, just eat the right amount. Otherwise, you will get full and vomit it up, okay? (laughs) Wisdom is knowledge correctly applied through intimate relationship with the Spirit for a flourishing life lived for the glory of God. If that is true, that means that you can't get true wisdom without God. If I gave the book of Proverbs to a humanist, a Buddhist, a Muslim, a New Age person, there would be a general sense of agreement, yes, yes, These are good principles, Uh, but we're not talking about applying principles here. We are talking about presenting a path to increased intimacy with the Father. Because increased intimacy with the Father means that we will want to walk in a way that doesn't harm us, which means that we'll want to walk in a way that doesn't go against the grain of the universe. The, The most ironic thing about this is that Solomon, who wrote the Proverbs, was not a man that ended up in intimate relationship with God. Uh, Who is considered one of the wisest men in the world ended up in a state very far from God. A very wise man whose heart and affection were not towards him and whose wisdom could not protect him from ultimately, ultimately making very poor choices. Because even as the wisest man, the most important choice, which was to love God, to serve him were not the choices that he was making. Because I love God, because I want to honor him, because I want to bring him glory, I choose to live in a way that ultimately brings me more joy. Now, I know what Karen likes. I also know what's good for her and what isn't. Uh, also knowing that I'm not God, and I can guide her in in those decisions. I wish I could say that's never happened again, but we'll talk about that at another time, you know? One of the the main reasons that we cannot get true wisdom without God is because God embodies wisdom, but one of the other ways is that the New Testament tells us that wisdom is actually a gift, and so is the discerning of spirits. So not only are we as Christians and Christ followers able to understand what functioning within a universe that is, that is created with a certain grain looks like, but we can actually ask God for wisdom. Scripture tells us to do that. In James, it says, if you lack wisdom, ask, and God will give it to you. And it isn't just situational wisdom. It's also a gift of wisdom to be able to operate on that. I ask God for that all the time, for the discerning of spirits. I should ask for it when my wife kicks me under the table. God... <laughs> What are you trying to say to me right now? So last week, um, Patrick gave us some idea of what Proverbs is not. I, I just want to hit on this important thing. A Proverbs is not ancient Twitter, okay? I mean, it is kind of like Twitter because it is short, it is funny, and it is piercing. Uh, Proverbs twenty six seventeen says, like yanking on the ear of a dog... So is one who passes by and gets involved in another person's fight, right? I mean, come on, that's pretty good. But how many of us these days are yanking on on the ear of a dog? I mean, it's like, is that a good idea? No, that's exactly what he's saying. It's short, it is clever, it's very culturally and contextually appropriate to the original audience. But Proverbs addresses our hearts, not just our action. Even though we don't look at Proverbs as traditionally a heart book, it is the heart that is being exposed, who we really are. How many of you guys have heard people in the public eye say, this is not who I am, when they make their fake apology, right? It kind of is though. And so the reality is, is the reason why you behaved in a certain way is not because some alien took over your body and made you act in that certain way. It's because something was in your heart that made you act in that way. Now, Proverbs says this. There's a warning in Proverbs that says, if you do lazy things, you will become a lazy person. If you do stupid things, you will become a stupid person. And so Proverbs warns us that the product of wrong actions is the formation of bad character. It says the only thing that will stop that is your heart. And what Proverbs does is it reveals our heart to us. Our heart is our core, it is the connector of our thoughts, our wills and affections. It is the heart that directs our entire life and Proverbs tells us to keep a watch over our heart for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs exposes our hearts. We know that Proverbs is not a book of promises. Um, It is about sowing and reaping, it is about cause and effect. But we also know that life is not that simple. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. How many of you know that that isn't true? How many of you know that that isn't true of you? Because you were trained up in the way in which you go, and you departed of that. Now, what does that mean? there's two two mistakes we can make. The one mistake is to take it as a book of promises that God is now compelled to do something because you acted in a certain way. The other way is that we can reject the design of the world in which we live in that is a cause and effect world and say there is no pattern, that it's outdated, it is sexist and culturally bound. Now, the reason why God has given us proverbs, he's also given us the um, lady wisdom in Proverbs, but he's given us the sharp cynic in Ecclesiastes and the weathered old man in Job. This is what happens when life doesn't work out the way in which you expect it. I want you to think of Proverbs as a wise sage. She's walking down the street and this is what she says, I walked by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of someone who had no common sense. I walked. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles, it was covered with weeds, and its walls were broken down. Then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. So let's not make those mistakes of saying, okay, Proverbs is a book of promises that I can just shoot out. You know what I mean? I'm going to have a Bible study with my kid every um, Wednesday. That means my kid will love Jesus for the rest of their lives, because Proverbs says that. it's, It's not that simple. What we've got to say is, God, as you're exposing my heart, and Proverbs has 31 chapters, I want to challenge you, read one chapter of Proverbs a day. It's quite simple to do that. But as you read that, ask God, what are you revealing about my heart. As the sage says, ask God, look, help me to look, help me to think, and help me to learn a lesson that you are showing me in this book. The exercise of wisdom, as we see it, not only in the book of Proverbs, but in the life of Jesus, can have very unexpected and surprising, surprising outcomes. And we're going to look at where wisdom rescues a sinful woman and exposes foolish men. Now, remember I told you that wisdom is not just about facts, laws, and morals, but it includes that, but that wisdom itself is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Before we look at that, I want to look at what James says about wisdom from a New Testament perspective. James says in chapter 3, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I want you to hold that intention with wisdom being personified in Jesus, and what James tells us through the Spirit, true wisdom is, and then to think back on the story of Jesus with a woman caught in adultery. For those of you who don't know, Um, there were a group of Pharisees that were hoping to catch Jesus out. They were looking for something. Scripture tells us they were looking for a way in which to test him. And they bring a woman that is caught in the very act of adultery, which means that literally they were in the act of having illicit sex, and they grab the woman, and they drag her before Jesus. And they say to him, according to the law of Moses, this woman should be stoned. That's the law? Those are the facts, these are the consequences. Those of you that know the story that Jesus bends down and he starts writing in the dirt. And then he says, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. And then he continues writing in the dirt. The scripture tells us that the Pharisees left one by one, the the oldest first. Some would say because they understood and were wiser exactly what Jesus was saying. The younger ones were more focused on the morals and the facts. This is the key, though. He doesn't just end it there. He says to her, woman, where are those that condemn you? They aren't there anymore. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's important for us to recognize two realities here. Jesus is not winking at sin. By actually saying, go and sin no more, he is telling her what? That what she was doing was sinful. That this is working against the grain of the universe. That this is hurting you. There is nothing more obvious than that. But there is a wisdom that, is, that Jesus is operating in that James is telling us is opposite to the, quote, wisdom of the Pharisees. Because for the Pharisees, there was no desire for justice, there was just jealousy of Jesus wanting to trap him. They didn't care about her. They didn't care that she was damaging herself. They didn't care that this image bearer of God was doing something that she was not designed to do. They were just trying to trap him. The principle was more important than the person. If you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. That's the epitome of earthly wisdom, that Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, "This is the kind of wisdom that you operate in." They had all the facts, they had all the law on that side, on their side, but they were not operating in Godly wisdom. Well Jesus calls out the fact that she has sinned. She's operating against the grain. He also calls out the fact that there needs to be someone that condemns her in order for there to be a consequence, and there is no such person. But he has deep, deep wisdom because he understands human motives, and he understands the motives of why the Pharisees came to do what they did. The wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits but impartial and sincere. And in that one moment, Jesus doesn't wink at sin, but forgives that sin and charges her to operate in a way that is not against the grain of the universe. Band, you can come up. Jesus rescues us from our sin splinters. He knows that we are prone to operate against the grain of the universe. He knows that that's, that's because of our father and mother, Adam and Eve. That's because we want to follow our heart. That's because we want to be true to ourselves. It's because we want to found, find our joy. We're not listening to Jesus. We end up with Splinters. To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. This is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Paul is talking about how us being united with Jesus means that we are fully wise. God made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. He freed us from sin. Jesus is able to deal with the sin splinters in our lives. Now, the cool thing is when you create the universe... You can break every rule because you created the universe. You can work against the grain of the universe, and you as God can decide to be born as man so that you could walk on this earth as a human being and know how difficult it is to live this life. When you create the universe, you can break the rules of what death does to a human body. You can die for the sins of the people you came to save You can be buried in a tomb, and on the third day, you can rise again. You can work against the grain of the universe. Not only that, you can work against the grain of the universe and you can appear to your disciples and you can say that you too will be resurrected on that day because you are a follower of Jesus. You can work against the grain of the universe when you ascend into heaven and allow the people of God to be flooded with the Holy Spirit to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. You can work against the grain to tell these foolish people that it is through your words and through your life that other people are gonna have the joy of understanding what it means to be called a child of God. Where Jesus comes and literally does everything against the grain of the universe so that we can have the splinters that we caused ourselves because we worked against the grain to be removed from us. This morning, maybe you're here and you are like that woman. How did I end up here? It wasn't just one choice. It was a series of choices. And now I'm exposed and now I don't know what to do. Jesus can rescue you from that Jesus can say to you go and sin no more when you come to Jesus and you repent and you say God I can't live an independent wise life on my own I don't want to I want to live according to the grain of the universe because I know that that's what brings joy and flourishing to me and that's what brings glory to you maybe that's what you need to hear this morning maybe you're a Pharisee and you have the law and the morals and the consequences and you look around you and your life is not what you thought it would be and you're a little annoyed because you're doing things better than Bob is. Jesus can help you with that. Just like the prodigal son who returned, we know that the prodigal son who returned was as much in need of grace as the angry son who was staying there judging the prodigal son. Or well, maybe you're just confused, man. How can God be so just and loving at the same time? How can the God who says, there will be a judgment at the end of the age, and unless your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you will not have everlasting life. Be the same God that says, come to me. Just simply come to me. Confess your need of me, repent of your sin, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you created this amazing world, that it works according to a pattern in a grain. And I want to thank you that when our first parents, Adam and Eve, tore against the grain, created a splinter for the rest of humanity that you decided to pursue us. That you decided to come in the form of a man to experience what life is like for us. That you lived the life we could not live and you died the death that we deserve to die. But that you rose again on the third day flooded us with your spirit and you're seated at the right hand of God and you invite us into a life of purpose, joy and flourishing and I want to pray for my brothers and sisters, I want to pray that if we need to get to a place where we're saying, God, I don't know how I got here but I don't want to be here anymore whether we're confessing habitual sin or whether we are stuck in just a negative pattern, God, I want to pray by your spirit that you would bring freedom this morning. God, I want to pray for us that are just bound just in in a a prison of self-righteousness. God, I want to pray that we would recognize our need of you. And I want to pray for those, God, that find it really just difficult to manage the tension between a loving, loving God And yet a God that will come back to judge the living and the dead. Jesus, I want to pray that we would see you as lamb and as lion. I pray that as we worship this morning, Spirit, you would minister deeply to us, your people. Because we want to live a life that is joyful and purposeful and for your glory.
1: Thank you, Nick, for um, just laying out what it looks like to see the differences between wisdom and knowledge and how that is really difficult in the current context that we live in now. Um, I want to respond first by taking communion together. Um, I think it's just a perfect picture of how God gives us the wisdom to live a life free of sin and to live the life that we were intended to be uh, to, intended to live in. Uh, Jesus came as the perfect embodiment of what wisdom looks like as a human, and then he sacrificed himself for us so that we could have access to the Father who is wisdom, and then we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us to help us discern those things. So let's take, um, let's grab the elements. We have a table in the back and two tables on the side. This one has wine. Um, Come back to your chairs, and then we will take communion together. Let's uh, stand and take communion together. God, we thank you that in your wisdom, you sent your son to die for us, to give himself as a sacrifice for us, um, because we're foolish and we, we try to live a perfect life that measures up, um, measures up to you, but we fail at it. But we thank you so much that you gave your son as an example for us to look to, um, and ultimately as our freedom. Um, we have the freedom to live in wisdom now because of what Christ did. Um, And we thank you so much for that. Let's take the bread. And God, we thank you that um, as your son was sacrificed, he wiped away all of our foolishness. He wiped away our sin. He wiped away all our bad decisions. And we can um, live in perfect relationship with you because of what Christ did. Let's take the cup. We're running a little short on time, but Grace had something that she wanted to share and she had space to pray for. Um, So I'm going to let her share real quick and then I'll give us a little more direction.
2: Hello. Um, My name is Grace. I'm one of the members here in... I've just been studying the book of Hebrews, and God really opened my eyes uh, this week as I was reading in Hebrews 4, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And as I was meditating on that, I just really started crying, because I was was just struck with the fact that jesus came to earth and he saved us but then he went back and he's literally sitting next to god right now and praying for us and ministering to us and like rooting for us cheering for us like he has our back at all times and it just blows my mind that we go to the throne of grace and we will receive mercy and find help in our time of need and um, we're obviously needing God all the time for wisdom. So I just have immense faith to pray for people who feel like they cannot come boldly to that throne. Um, but Jesus is literally waiting for you to come to Him, and I just wanted to to lift you up in prayer this morning.
1: Thank you, Grace. Um, so if you if that resonates with you, Grace will be to the side. Um, available to pray for you. There will be other people available to pray. Um, Some other things that Nick highlighted that I think people could use prayer for is if you just feel like you're stuck in sin, stuck in that um, foolish life, um, we can pray for you. If you feel like you're stuck in self-righteousness, we can pray for you. And then if you struggle with seeing God as that perfect kind person but also as the king that will bring judgment um, and kind of navigating those two um, tensions we can pray for that as well so um, if you need prayer for any of that please come pray with us at the side for the rest of us we are formally dismissed um, and we will see you out in the back thank you so much mercy Commons.